We're going to begin with Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. The title of my message tonight is Be Strong in the Lord and the Power of His Might from the obvious words in this verse. You could just title it Being Strong in the Lord, but Ephesians 6.10, it says it. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Think for just a moment. What if you were? I know you understand. You've heard this. We've all heard this verse quoted. We've quoted it. We've read it. We've seen it applied in many ways. But just for a moment, what if it really worked like this for you all the time? What if you really were strong in the Lord and the power of his might or his mighty power? How many of you know that God has mighty power? Power so mighty that all that is in existence was created by him, really by a word he spoke because there's power in his words. And we're told here because what follows, verse 10, is the war that we walk through in this life. The devil leaves nobody alone. We're all going to face various kinds of adverse circumstances. Our adversary in 1 Peter 5 goes about like a roaring lion seeking for those whom he can devour. We're told to resist him steadfast in the faith. And we're told here that having done all, because apparently it's a pretty good battle. In verse 12, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, people, terrorists, but we're fighting things you can't see, the powers that's in people that do all this stuff. He said in verse 13, taking you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, you need all of this to be able just to stand. The latter days, the last days in the Bible will be marked by those who fall away. Everybody has a reason why they fell away. Everybody has an excuse for why for them it did not work or could not work or whatever happened. But we know that in the latter days that many will depart from the faith. There's going to be struggles and hardships that people will give in to. And we've all seen it happen already. And this is not the final hour of history. It was leading up to it. But we're told to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Now, the word strong means to empower. When he speaks here of being strong in the Lord, he means to empower or to enable. Literally means to increase in strength. God didn't save any of us because we were strong and didn't need any help. And we'll probably get to this later on. Every one of us are weak. There's not a one of us in here that can withstand the evil powers of the devil without God's help. Unless God some way makes us strong, we will all fail. Because we're not able to cope with something that we're too little to cope with. Now, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. But without Christ, if we're trying to live any kind of a victorious, peaceful, joyful life in this world. Without Christ, you can't and you won't. You go to bed every night waiting for the other shoe to drop, wondering when the next barrage is coming in because you can't stop it. Just an endless stream of trouble and difficulties that comes upon people. People talk about it all the time. 
their latest problem, their latest circumstances, the latest trip to the doctor, the latest prognosis or the latest forecast about the job market and uh, the latest forecast about the difficulty that is coming or who knows what it is. People can get afraid of just about anything that the news broadcasts. People fear it. Next thing you know, we're through eating fish because of the tragic problem in Japan with the nuclear waste and it gets into the sea and the ocean and all of the effects of that. And people worry about that. They're afraid of that because basically, fundamentally, we're just not strong. We have nothing about us that is able to cope with these fearful things. But as a Christian, I say we as speaking of the world, but as Christians, the Bible says we are supposed to be strong. We're not supposed to be weak because we have been given something that we did not once have. We were once weak, but now we are made strong in the Lord. We should be strong. We should be able to face adversity without fears. We should be able to because God has given us these things. Didn't Philippians 4.13 say, I can do all things through Christ? I can't do all things without Christ, but being in Christ and with Christ, I can do all things. I can't just jump off a building and fly around Louisville. But that's not what he's talking about either, and you know that. That's foolish. I can do anything that a Christian needs to do the way God wants it done by virtue of the help, the assistance of Christ. And if I am willing to let him have his way in my life, then it is no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the devil can't do much with him. As I die and he lives, through my death and his life, I begin to experience and enjoy the victory that God gives us, and on and on and on. We're told in the Bible about Abraham that he was strong in the faith. He gave glory to God. He was given a word from the Lord that says, you're going to father the child. Actually, in 25 years, when you're 100 years old, you're going to father a child with a 90-year-old woman. And I can only imagine how his natural mind, uh, the natural thought processes would say how impossible that was and how that's, <laughs> you'd laugh about it. But with God, nothing is impossible. Now, a man who cannot believe what God said will remain as he was without strength and assistance. But a man who says, I don't know how he's going to do this because he doesn't have to tell me how he's going to do it. I just believe he will. I believe he will because he said he would. And if he said it, he can do it because he's not like a man, you know, that says things that he can't always do. If he said it, he'll do it. If he spoke it, he'll make it good. And if I'm going to father this child, the Bible said Abraham believeth. In fact, the Bible said he staggered not at the promise of God. And then it adds these words, but he was strong in faith. He was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Look in chapter 1 of Ephesians. You're in chapter 6. Look at verse 19. One of the things that Paul prayed that the Spirit of God would reveal to us as Christians, a particular truth that the church needs, not just to read it, but to have it as an experience, 
to live like it's true. We all know that in verse 18, he said that God would give us spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. You remember that? The eyes of our heart, man on the inside, the real seeing part of us will begin to see what God has given to us and what God wants us to have to be what God wants us to be. And in verse 19, butting in on that thought, he said, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward or toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? Does your Bible say the words who believe? It sort of narrows it down. It's not a broad promise that just anybody who wants to go to church and read this, that this will work for. Or you can't just claim this to work for you. Even in your most pious moment, you couldn't just put your finger, verse 19, said, Lord, I claim this is going to work for me unless you believe. Unless with your heart, you are settled and certain that it's going to work. I haven't seen it work yet. I can't tell you how it's going to work. I just know that if God said it and I believe it, he will make it work. Now, therefore, I'm going to act like it's going to work. I'm going to talk like it's going to work. I'm going to conduct my affairs as though it's going to work. Because that's what faith does. Doesn't it? Let me see if that does that. I don't want to mislead you. Don't believe nothing I'm saying tonight because I said it. I know you won't. But isn't there something goes like this? What things soever you desire, Mark eleven twenty four. what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you have received it. When you pray, believe when you pray that you have received it. Have received what? Who are you supposed to believe you have received? Doesn't Jesus say believe that the thing you're asking him for, aren't you supposed to believe that you have received it? Now, that's not easy to do. It's easy to preach. It's easy to explain it. It's easy to say it. It's just not easy to do because the time you need to do this the most is when you're hurting and it's dark and things are difficult. And it's not easy. It's sitting here now. We've got no particular problem. It's easy to say, oh, yeah, amen. Praise God for that. I believe I'm well. Then something comes up. Something comes out of your body that shouldn't be in there. And there's this fearful moment when things begin to telegraph to your mind that you've got a certain condition that you're aware of that somebody else you knew had the same thing. They did this, and, you know, you've been feeling uncomfortable in a certain area for a while, and this is beginning to grow inside of you. And the end result of this, if you don't get something done, is that you're going to die. That's a real fact. Now, those are real feelings, real manifestations, real pains. I'm not talking about Christian science here. I'm talking about Christian sense. We're not denying the problems. All I'm saying is that Jesus said, now here's what I want you to do. What things soever you desire. So what do you desire? I want to be well. I want to be well. I want a better job. Everything that God has promised to me, these are not aimless promises for us to wish we had. These are real promises that God makes in this book, real ones. And so we say, Lord, I, what things have you desire? Okay, I desire to be well. I want these symptoms to go away. I want to feel good. I want to be in health like the Bible promises. I want to prosper and be in health like the Bible promises. 
Now, Jesus said this is a condition. Whenever you pray, believe that you've got something. Believe that you have received your healing. And if you believe you have it, then you'll get it. As I said, this isn't hard to preach. It isn't hard to explain that. But there's not a handful of Christians that will do it. Because of fear. Fear and worry. Friends around you tell you what's going to happen to you if you don't get off of this religious kick. They will tell you if, if you don't do something soon, you know, this God stuff is going to kill you. Their mind is a battleground, so their mind eventually they get worn down and they keep listening to the wrong people because as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. But when you have faith in something, it means that you are believing you have something you don't see. Jesus didn't say you would feel better when you prayed. He didn't say things would look better when you prayed. He just said when you pray, believe. Isn't that right? That's all we can do, just believe. Has he ever made a promise he cannot keep? Is there any condition he cannot deal with? Then what's the problem with all the woes and stuff in life? Is a lack of fundamental faith. It's a lack of that. Something we should have, we find out at the wrong time we don't have. Let me ask you a question. Can anybody, any church, any creed, nationality, gender, race, can anybody be strong without being able to believe God? I challenge you to think about it. Be thinking people. Can anybody be strong in the Lord without believing that the Lord will do what he promised? Therefore, I'm at peace with it. If God said it, he'll do it, right? Can you be strong if you don't believe that? You may be smart. You may be knowledgeable, and you may be gifted with good recall, with good mental recall. You can do all of that. But if you're not trusting God to perform his word for you, if you're not settled and peaceful about that, then you need to be still and go to church and learn as much as you can, meditate in it, pray about it, and Cry out to God that he would lodge in your heart the kind of faith that pleases him. How else can a Christian please God? Is there any other thing, any other way that we can live and please God without that, without faith? So you see, it is a narrow walk. I didn't invent this. And I've said all my Christian life, don't believe what I've said. Don't even throw it out. If I've said, don't throw it away. Check the scriptures out and see what the Bible says. Believe it not because brother, doctor, somebody said it. Believe it because you see it in the Bible. Believe it because scripture says it. Give the glory to God when you find something. But here's the deal. Ephesians 1.19, he says, And what is the exceeding greatness of his power... To usward who believe. Now, in light of what I just said, is it not true then that when I am willing to take God at his word, I will be given from God a power that I did not have before I did that? And this power will enable me not to fall apart, not to collapse, or as the Bible says, not to faint. 
but I will be able to stand. And even though there's a lot of tossing and throwing going on, he said, if I will do what he said in Ephesians 10, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might, put on the armor of God. I may be tossed around, but I won't fall. Now, therefore, I'll have a testimony to you and whoever else is watching. They may not like what you preach. I'm speaking for myself now. They may not like what they've heard you stand for. But they cannot deny the fact that the evidence of a gracious Lord's blessing is in your life. They wouldn't want to have to walk this way or do that because, oh. But in the end, what in the world does God say to us? Well done, thou good and... and uh, um, well, no, what if we're not? What if we're loyal to the church, loyal to meetings, and we're good at all this? But then what does he say to us? You see, I want to wrestle with that. I don't want to be condemned by that. I want to be awakened by that. And while I'm sitting here tonight, everything is going good. I want to make sure that I am in the right place with the Lord, that I am believing right and I don't know what I'll do tomorrow. Who knows what's going to come tomorrow? I can't say what I'll do tomorrow, but I want to believe that God is in control of my tomorrows, that he's already in my tomorrows, and that when tomorrow comes, if it comes, he will be as big tomorrow as he was today. And that if he secured me today, he will secure me tomorrow. I want to walk like that. Now, would you turn over to Psalms 28? You see, when I'm strong in the Lord, there's three particular traits that I'll have. One will be confidence. If I'm strong, if I'm strong, I'll have confidence because behind my confidence, the fact that God is able. If God is able, then I'm going to have confidence. Confidence is a terrible thing not to have. Confidence is a terrible thing not to have. It's a wonderful thing to have in any degree you have it. It's nice to have confidence as long as it doesn't lead to pride and cockiness, arrogance. Because it can lead to such things as arrogance. You, know, you think you know more than other people. And I know what God will do for me. And if you had as much faith as I, you know, no, that ain't the way you live. Confidence is that inward, inward certainty or inward assurance that you have. It's knowing something. It's going to be all right. God will take care of it. I'm sure this will work. Like, I know that I can do all things through Christ who, who strengthens me. When you have confidence in that, you know that's going to work. Another thing you'll find with strength is courage. Courage means that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And when I'm strong, obviously, is victory. Let's go to Psalm 28, verse 7. The first few verses are deal with the wicked. They're not going to make it. They're not doing good. But five, six, seven, eight, and nine turns the tables around, and this is God's judgment for goodness. God judges us worthy of his grace, and he does this. For example, in verse six, blessed be the Lord because he hath heard the voice of my supplications. He cried out in verse one. In verse seven, the Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusteth in him. And I am helped. Therefore, my heart greatly rejoiceth, and with my song I will praise him. We read verse 8 and 9. The Lord is their strength. Whose strength? Verse 7. Our strength. 
The Lord is their strength. And he is the saving strength of his anointed, his chosen ones, his elect. Verse 9, save thy people, those four things there, bless your inheritance, feed them also, and lift them up forever. Now back to verse 7 tonight. Back to verse 7. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusteth in him, and I am helped. Therefore my heart greatly rejoiceth. And with my song, I will praise him. Take, first of all, the idea of confidence. Now, this whole thing has to do with being strong, and the effect of the strength of God in your life will be confidence. Confidence. Our Hebrew word for strengthened in verse 7 has to do with internal fortitude, the strength of an individual. You know what? There's a lot of people, a lot of good people in this world, a lot of good Christian folks in this world who don't have a good mental game. By that, I mean they allow secondary thoughts. I would call primary thoughts God's word. That's first. And instead of that being what they saturate their minds with, they let a lot of other thoughts come into their mind. Now, they deal with it to a degree. Now, I rebuke that, and that's not right, but they keep listening to it. Or you keep having around you certain friends who keep talking that way without you saying, you know, we shouldn't talk about those kind of things because we've been delivered from that. People who talk about diseases or certain kinds of drugs or certain kinds of ailments and weaknesses and failures or what they read in the paper about this one and read about that one, all these negative things. And, you know, you keep talking about that kind of stuff, and you begin to wane just a little bit. Just a little bitty, tiny, tiny bit. Just beginning to wane just a little tiny bit. And your mental game begins to give way to mental weakness. You find yourself going, oh, man, I don't want want to go through that. And you start thinking wrong. When I was a basketball coach, it didn't take long to know there were certain kids who had a good mental game. They were tough. I don't mean they were physically tough and able to beat everybody up, though some of them weren't so big, but I sure wouldn't want to get into it with them because they didn't know what quit means. They didn't know what I'm too tired or I can't make. They didn't know what that meant. I remember a kid the first year I was a head basketball coach in Raceland, Kentucky. There was just a tryouts. It was a tryouts. They didn't know me. I didn't know them. And running up and down the floor. I was trying to see if I could kill all of them first. And I would run them real hard and ran them really a little too much, but I wanted to see who was going to quit. I really was. I was trying to see which one of them would start slowing down and kind of quit. And there was this one kid. He was a quiet kid. And he'd run up and down the floor and every down and out of the corner of my eye, he would kind of go, oh. and he'd look down at his foot. And I said to him, something wrong with you, boy? No, no, fine. I said. And I looked down at his shoe and had blood all over the outside of his shoe. That's when we wore canvas shoes. Buddy, that was in the good old days. <laughs> Big Converse shoes. And I said, take that shoe off. The skin was gone off the side of that boy's toe. He'd got it hurt when he was young in a lawnmower or something. And it was just terrible. Well, he immediately made the team. 
he wasn't gifted with so much of the ability to shoot a ball, but you could give him a task to do, and the boy would literally, he would expend himself doing it. You could count on him. You could trust in him. Or because of his mental strength, I had a lot of confidence in him that if I told him to do something, he would have done it. He wouldn't, of course. I think if I told him, I want you to climb on the top of the gymnasium, and we're all going to get around, we want to watch you jump off of it, he probably would have. Now, he wouldn't have, but I, you know, I'm like to think he was that kind of a tough kid. And then there was always the really good ones, sometimes the really gifted ball players who would, oh, my side's hurting a little bit. And you knew that when the going really got tough, some of these guys are going to, they're going to cave in on you. Well, let me tell you something. After all these years of learning little things like that and now standing here and looking at a lot of us for a long time, through many places for me, a lot of different places, other countries, a lot of Christians don't have much of a mental game. They're pretty weak. They give in to a little bit. And, you know, they rush to the doctor and do something, and it was a cold. I've had people tell me, maybe it's somebody here tonight, I don't know, but you were learning. It was part of your learning process. The fear that gripped somebody, oh, we got to do something, we got to do something, because they heard about somebody else that did something, you know, and this happened to that one, and it came this, it got chronic, and then it developed into this, and oh, boy. And they found out, you know, this was nothing. We just caved into nothing. We've got a real flaw in our confidence in our Heavenly Father, which telegraphs back to me and says, you're not very strong spiritually. You run well when all things are going well, and you run well when everything is like that. But when you're out there by yourself and it's getting a long night and it's dark and you're difficult times and you don't feel good and you're about broke and your car won't start and so forth, Boy, negative things come out of your mouth. You start griping. You start complaining. And the preacher says, have you ever been to church? Did you ever attend a meeting? Did you come to any of the teaching meetings? I know they have for 20 years. And you say, have you been to any of these meetings? They would say, well, you've seen me every week for 20 years. I know I have, but have you been here? Did you park yourself out in a car and send your body in here? Or did you bring all of you? How is it that you cave in, you give up so easy? Well, now, Brother Hamble, don't be hard on me. Remember what time Jesus said, beware of the leaven of the Sadducees and Herod? And they said, what's he talking about? The smart one said, it has to be bread because he said leaven. The other one said, well, why wouldn't he say bread? Why do we have to figure out what leaven means? Why don't he just say bread? Well, I don't know. Why don't you go ask him? No, I ain't going to ask him. So they were arguing amongst themselves. Remember what Jesus said in Mark's account of this? He said, have you your hearts hardened? Have you forgotten already what you've been taught? Are you talking about bread? Don't you remember the 5,000 on the hillside, the 4,000, how many basketfuls we had left over? And how is it that at the thought of not having a loaf of bread, you are breaking down and fighting with each other? Have you been to any meetings at all? Were you on the hillside the other day when I dealt with this? Remember the Sermon on the Mount? Were you all there, he said? I'm not talking to you now, I'm talking to them. So he said, is your heart hardened? Have you so soon forgot? Remember that one other time? 
He said, how long shall I bear with you? Remember that? It was all about a collapse of their faith. When their faith fell, they fell. Now, everybody around them understands because Christians write all these books on failure. On the difficulty of the valley and then the sorrow and the deepness and the sadness and recovering, you know, victory for dummies or whatever. <laughs> because, listen, it's so common. It is so common. There's almost a resignation to the allowance of being weak. And yet you've got a book here that says everything but that. This book says that God watches over his word to do what it says. And all you have to do, the one condition that he gives us in particular, is to believe it. And we read it and say, well, I can see it. I read it and I believe it. No, that's mental agreement. Anybody can read it. The devil believes like that. But to believe it in the sense that you make it your own and you count on God to do what he said. Now, I don't feel any better I don't look any better. I'm still broke. I'm still unemployed. I still got a bill to pay that I, I don't know how to pay, but I'm not going to talk about it. You and I are not going to get in a phone conversation or a little conversation about what am I going to do because my determination is I'm going to trust the Lord with all my heart. I'm going to just take him at his word. Didn't he say he would supply half of my needs according to his riches and glory? He said he would supply all of them, didn't he? Amen. Well, I'm not going to talk to you about what am I going to do now. Oh, well, I feel you poor, so I'm not, no, I'm not going to talk about that. If I have to be labeled, I think I've had this label a little bit. It's sort of a hard to get along with, hard to know. That's okay. Because if you've been around people that try and talk you out of your faith a lot, you do stay away from people a little bit. Sometimes. I want to have, and I want you to have, this living confidence that God who's given you this word, you can be sure that he will do it because that, in essence, is what faith is. I'm confident that he will do it, and I'm counting on God to do it. My faith can do no more. I can't make it work. I can't make somebody healed. I can't make you have a job. I can lay hands on everybody in here until all y'all have was shriveled hair. I can't make anything happen. How many of you know that you can't either? Only God has. But if he tells you to do something and he's authored you to do it, it'll work. But it doesn't work because you did it. He used you, but it works because he did it through you. It's a simple message. But you have to believe. You have to believe. Would you put your finger wherever you are and look in 1 Peter chapter 1 for just a moment concerning this faith that we're talking about? 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. Who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, talking about Christ, who by him, do you see the words by him? What does it mean? That he's the author of it. He caused it. Now listen to it. Who by him do believe in God that raised him from the dead. Let me ask you a simple question. We got one verse of scripture we're going to give you a test on and one question. 
How are we able to believe? God does it because a thousand people have heard the same thing and don't believe. And they hear that, yeah, well, I know the Bible says that. They don't believe. And you hear it and you say, well, amen. You know why you believe it? You believe it because God said it. Go back towards where we were and stop off in Acts. There's a really nice place there to stop off. Acts chapter 3. Remember the story of the man at the gate there? He said, silver and gold, Peter said, have I none, but such as I have, give I thee. Verse 16, and his name through faith in his name has made this man strong. It was not apostolic power that made that man strong, but he said this, whom you see and know, yea, listen now, the faith which is by him. Does your Bible say that? It ought to. Where does my faith come from? From God. If I believe something that works, then not only did God author that, but he gave me that. No man will ever take credit for having done something that God approves of without God doing it. You can't conjure up enough stuff to do for God to say, hey, that's really good. The only right thing to do is what God gives us to do. Even though... Many times in our lives, I've experienced it and so have you. You can go back to Psalms. Even though many times in my life, I recognize my weakness. I remember there was times in my life that I did not conduct myself in a strong and faithful way before God, and I got an answer anyway. I got good results. You ever had that happen? By the sermon you preached, you should have collapsed. What you said last time, you know, Brother Ham, you preached about this. And look at here, it's you fighting. Nobody can see you in the middle of oh, God, this? All the folks said, well, look at the preacher. And by morning, the healing came and deliverance came and whatever you were struggling about is all well. I don't hear God say things. I don't hear the things like that. I have a lot of impressions, things that I can imagine or sense that God would say this. And in that sense, it would be like the Lord said to me, now, don't you go to church tonight and tell them how tough you were last night. Don't you walk in there and say, well, the devil came mess with my kid last night. I, I let him have a couple of them, and that was over, buddy. You were on the edge of CB-hood. <laughs> you cry babyhood. You were right there. You were whining like a, a little baby there for a minute, and I delivered you. To, probably to keep me from just falling away or something. So when you get into that church tomorrow night, when you go teaching on your little subject of faith, don't you act like you're some big bad man the devil's scared of. You humble yourself and give the glory to God. And you tell those other people in the church who struggle the same way, I had a hard time last night and I don't deserve the good I got, but I got it and I want to thank God for it. I'm not saying when I said all of that, that the next time you go into battle, just start squalling and say, did it work? Did it work? <laughs> I was growing. I was learning. It was a stage of growth that I was in. Didn't God say he will not allow you to be uh, uh, tempted? Something like that above that uh, 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 which you're able. Doesn't it say that? But will with the temptation provide a way of escape so that you can bear it? How many times does he do that? And shouldn't the effect 
of that on our life be confidence? God is gracious and good. Look at God's church. We got a wedding coming up this week, and one of the verses I'm going to read is in Ephesians 5. As Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, he's going to make himself a glorious church without spot. You remember all of, all of that. And look at the church. Like a nursery. Point of it was, this is for a married man as part of his sermon he gets. God has been very long-suffering towards us. God puts up with a whole lot of weakness in us. God has come to tolerate in his chosen ones. He tolerates a whole lot of things that we wouldn't. But he's long-suffering. He knows that we're in the flesh. All he wants us to do is say, look, admit you're weak, but admit that I'm strong. That if you will give up you're trying to do it and let me do it through you, just trust me and I'll bring it to pass. Let God have it. Turn it over to him. I cast all my cares upon. I'm not going to sing the song. Remember the Bible says casting all your care upon him. Why? Say because he careth for you. He does that, folks. God knows where we are. He knows what our mature level is. He's not our foe. He's our heavenly father, but he doesn't treat us like brats either. If we don't do well, he gets the rod of correction out. We call it the chastening rod. And there's a heavenly woodshed made out of gold. And he takes you in there with all the brilliance of it and refines you. <laughs> he makes you a better person when he brings you out of it. Amen. Was it not in 2 Corinthians 12 that Paul wrote, my strength is made perfect in weakness? What does that mean, though? We're teaching now. What does it mean? God is saying, my strength, what he is able to do, is made perfect when? When you can't. When you quit trying to act like you're Charlie Potatoes, or you're trying to act like you're some hero that everybody should bronze, or get a bobblehead made of. Have you ever said this to the Lord? I don't know what to do. I don't know how many times I've sat on the other side of this wall right here, over in that little room over there. don't know how many times I have said to God, I don't know what to do. I really don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. I need wisdom. You're going to have to give me that, or I'm going to stumble over words, step on my tongue, and wear myself out. And so far, after all these years, we've survived. Not because we're clever. We haven't survived here all these years because we're important people. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27, he chose foolish people. He chose weak people. He chose people that will finally resign themselves to trying to make a name for themselves and a, something of themselves who will humble themselves under the mighty hand of God and just let God do it and let God get the glory. And here we are. God does that. Second thing, go back to the Psalms, if you've still got your finger back there, where it was in Psalms 28 and verse 7. 
He said, he's my strength and my shield. Now, we're more familiar with what a shield is than the, the various renderings of what strength is. Strength has a lot of different applications, but shield is pretty simple. Shield has to do with our word courage here. What's the one place in the New Testament that you remember the talk about the shield? Ephesians chapter what? Six. That's right. It's called the shield of faith. And the promise is wherewith you may be able, you, with something that he gives, it will equip you or enable you to quench all the fiery darts of Satan. A dart would be some sort of an attack some kind of a attempt to defeat you, make you fall, make you fearful, afraid, some kind of a thought or an action or a circumstance you're encountering, a difficulty in your life, just something that comes up and you weren't expecting, and uh-oh, this doesn't look good, and you start, oh, Lord. But he said that this shield that God has given you is called the shield of faith. I guess we ought to preach on faith some morning or some evening. We ought to talk about it. Must be an important subject. Every time you turn a page, it's there again. Throughout the whole New Testament, it's faith, faith, faith. It's only mentioned twice in the Old Testament, but it's mentioned all over the New. But he says about faith that this shield of faith will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And we've been talking about attacks our adversary, the devil, Peter writes, goes about like a roaring lion, throwing darts at these people, usually at your mind, because remember he deceived Eve through his craftiness? It's the devil who wants you to put a question mark where God puts a period, where God would say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The devil would say, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you? You? Well, you failed last week. You failed this morning. I don't know when you've ever done anything right. So that that can depress you just enough that you either don't need to go to church tonight or you don't feel good. Or if you do go, just hope he doesn't preach too long because there's nobody home. Something's wrong. It's these little darts, the effect of these little fiery darts, these little distractions in your life. These little lusty allurements that come into your life and begin to occupy, and then you dread letting go of it. You can't hardly give it up. Whether it's eating or a social snip or nip, drinking or running around and watching stuff you shouldn't watch or being places you shouldn't be, they're little fiery darts. You don't ever, ever, ever have to be controlled by it. You don't ever have to come under the power of it, but you can never avoid their coming. Everybody in this room is attacked. Wherever we live with different levels of effects, but we're all under the attacks of the devil. He comes about like a roaring lion. He doesn't say, well, she's too young or he's too old. He doesn't care who you are. The devil's main goal in life is to kill and to steal and destroy. I still remember that young lady called me years ago. A boy she was going to marry was killed in a car wreck just a week before they're married and crying, oh, why would God do this? And I said, and God ain't the one who did it. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life. It's the thief that comes to kill and steal and destroy. The insurance company may say it's an act of God, but they got that wrong. It's just people don't know. Everybody goes to church. 
but they just don't know. But he said in Ephesians 6, 16, that with the shield of faith, you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the enemy. And when you have a shield, and when you do use it, and you do trust God for results, and even though you're being attacked, God, I'm counting on you to do this. Remember what he said in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 5, and this is a victory. He that is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our baptismal certificates. Remember that? Don't y'all remember that? If you shake your head, yes, you ain't here. He said that the victory that overcomes the world is even your faith. The world is the very enemy of God. The very thing your flesh craves. Everything in this life that suppresses, haunts you, defeats you, depresses you, every single thing like that is totally in and of the world. And the fact of the matter is, the more you die to the world and you carry your cross, the less influence any of it has. And when you get to the place where you are dead to the world, the devil can't defeat you in anything he does because you're so caught up in the Lord and trusting him that he can't stop you. So you have confidence because you're strong. You have confidence and you have courage. And then in verse 7, he says, My heart trusted in him, and I am helped. As you go back to Psalm 28. Does your Bible say that? My heart trusteth in him, and, and I am helped. My heart trusteth in him, and I am helped. Now, the word helped, by definition, is a verb meaning to help or to aid or to enable. You know, God could do anything that needs to be done just because you're his and just do it for you and you wouldn't do anything, but he doesn't. He gives you his word and his promise to teach you to trust in him. And when you trust in him, if you trust in him with all your heart, eventually the enemy will flee. He may not right away because the devil doesn't know if you really believe this or not. Everybody's taking a start. I mean, everybody said, oh, I'm going to trust God. You, I rebuke you in Jesus' name. But a lot of people, if it lingers, if the trial lingers in time, a lot of people get a little bit weary and they begin to fade and begin to back off and so forth. But when you have the victory, you have the victory because you made up your mind to trust God and to the best of your ability, as you know how, to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Remember Psalm 23? Everybody knows it. The Lord is my shepherd. He makes you lie down in green pastures and so forth. Now, let me ask you a question. Why is it then that a person who experiences God that way, when they go through this valley where the shadow of death is, how is it that they're not afraid? Death is a haunting thing. Death is a terrible thought for most everybody because it's the cessation of life. It's the end and termination of your existence in this world. It seems so final. There's not enough medical inventions to bring back certain stages of diseases so that you can live again. We hear of miracles, but they so seldom that nobody puts much stock in that. Death is just a terrible thought. That's why people will spend 
everything they have, go anywhere they have to try any treatment there is, anything, because of this hold on life and don't want to give it up. Well, I don't want to give up my life either. But you know what? Just to throw this in, my life doesn't belong to me anymore. Neither does yours. We were bought with a what? And therefore, our life is not ours. We belong to God. As good stewards of our body, we should incorporate, bring to bear in our life the truth that God has given us. As good stewards of this tabernacle here, this is where he dwells. He lives in tabernacles not made with hands, in human bodies. This is his dwelling place. And he gives us the assignment to take care of them. Sometimes you can't always the way you'd like to, but if it doesn't look like it's going well and things aren't doing well, he expects us to turn to him for the repair or the fixing of his property. Doesn't he? I don't know why people have such a horrendous problem with that. It's almost like, oh, no, we have to trust the Lord. What about those times? I have a real good friend who's standing right out there looking at that valley right now. He's looking at it. And from all that he's been told, he's going to have to take his journey. Apparently, he can't, unless God does something, of course. He can't go back and undo or redo anything. He's lived that part of his life. And now he's facing this. Now, you tell me why it is that some people in Psalm 23 walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but they don't fear. There's not this collapse of emotions or faith, or they don't just fall apart. Oh, Why is that? Why? If the Lord tarries, we'll all take our journey. You will, I will, we'll all take our journey one day. I mean, it doesn't go away. It's the point that a man wants to die. You can't escape this. But why is it that so many people who've lived so many years on this earth and been told so much about Psalm 23, everybody quotes it? Why is it that when that day comes that there's so much terror and fear and fright and consternation and weeping and sorrow and grief? Why? How about those that face it that don't have fear? Why does the Bible say that we don't fear? For thou art with me. What else is with me? Is there a verse in there that says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for? You got it. For thou art with me. What does that mean? I'm not alone. He said he would never leave me nor forsake me. Even at this point in my life, he's going to be there then. Precious in the eyes of God or the death of his saints. He's there. But what else is there with him? Thy rod and thy... What does the rod and the staff do? Comforts me. You ever hear that song, There Shall Be Peace in the Valley Someday? I don't want to sing it. I don't suggest you sing it. But I'm just saying that there can be, even at the most terminating time in a man's life, there can be peace. You're not alone. God is with you. His rod and his staff. They've been defined many ways by lots of gifted preachers, much better than I. What the rod and the staff is, whatever they are, they are divine in origin. 
and they have an effect upon whoever is walking with the Lord. Because he said the purpose, apparently, of the rod and the staff is to comfort me. Now, if I'm not afraid of the valley or the end, and the end is not yet here, then should I be afraid while I'm still here and doing well? I should have the victory. Doesn't the Bible say thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ? He gives it to us. That's 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 57. Does anybody know what 2 Corinthians 2 and 14 says? Well, no, you couldn't unless you looked at it. God leads us daily in his triumph. Causes us to triumph. Causes Hamilton to triumph. But God gives us the victory. He causes the weakest one in this room. He causes you to triumph. If you will just turn to him and trust him, he will never let it be bigger than you are. Now go back to Psalm 28 and we'll close if you've gone anywhere else. Therefore, my heart greatly rejoiceth and with my song, I will praise him. Greatly rejoices, describing a state and act of celebration and approval, support for something. You will find, as a good example, Saturday night in some arena in America, in Texas, you'll find that when one team does something good, there will be a celebration. And they do two things good, there'll be another celebration. And if they win, they'll celebrate all night. Because of the gladness of something that you're a part of. Yeah, I'm not playing. I'm not even there, they say. Or I don't even know who these kids are. Talking about the world now. And I don't know anything about them, but I'm rooting for them. And when they do something good, whoo! Now that would be greatly. Whooping and hollering would be greatly. But it don't have to be greatly. It's just that because, as I read this particular psalm right here, this simple psalm is hardly ever read. It follows 27, it's before 29, but it's just a psalm. Because I'm helped, because my heart trusts in the Lord, because all of these things, oh, my heart, my heart and my song, I greatly rejoice. I have a song in my mouth. Look at Psalm 40. Psalms 40. You're real close to it, of course. Psalms 40 in verse 3. If you've been born again, this has happened to you. If you haven't been born again, this has not happened. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. Who did it? The Lord did. And verse 3, what else did the Lord do? He. Does it say he put? Where did the song come from? Doesn't it come from God? So then if I have a song at all, if there is this cheerfulness in my spirit that I want to sing, it's because of the influence, the quickening of God. Would you agree? Now, a person without a song is a person with a problem. He's not a warrior. He's not some soldier of the cross who's going to win. A real soldier is not afraid to go out to the battle. 
because he knows in whom he has believed and he is persuaded. Just like the verse before in Psalm 28 there about trusting in the Lord. He trusts in the Lord with all of his heart. He's not afraid to trust God. So what if he dies? If he dies, he goes to heaven. Right now, this is what I'm called to do, and I'm going to do it. You see, to have a song is to have the victory. To have the victory is to be strong. Therefore, the strong in the Lord have a song. We sing songs of joy all the time. Well, he said it there in verse 3. The Lord put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. So if we praise the Lord, we're doing something that God authors. Would you agree? And he said, many shall see it and shall fear and shall trust in the Lord. Listen, robust singing, joyful gladness of heart expressed in singing is something that even unbelievers, they may not want to admit it, but they like the exuberance of it because you don't find that in the world. It's so seldom that you have that. When we used to be down on Clay Street in that dreadful little building down there before they fixed it, we had to roll the windows up in the summer, and they used to come out of those apartments across the street. How many of y'all were there then? All five of us? And those people used to come out of those apartments and sit along the rail. They told us later, said, we'd love to hear y'all sing. Everybody sang then. It wasn't just a song leader and four or five squeaky little voices out there, and then everybody else going, how much longer are you be here? Everybody sang. You just wanted to sing. It was in your heart to sing. We have a song, something in my heart like a stream running free. Makes me feel so happy, as happy as can be. When I think of Jesus and what he's done for me, something in my heart like a stream running free. Or there's within my heart a melody, and it's Jesus whispers sweet and low. Or there's another song. Making melody in your heart, we must have a song in our hearts. You mustn't dread coming to this meeting and having to sing. Now, there is something wrong with us when we do that. And if the song doesn't emerge from the heart, God doesn't accept it. It's not acceptable unless it is given to God from the heart. A sacrifice of praise, Hebrews 13. It must come from the heart. God's complaint in Isaiah 29 was with their mouth, they show much praise, but their hearts are far from me. God sees the hearts. Don't dread coming in here singing. Don't hope everybody hurries up and quits singing. Well, it's pretty dead in here tonight, probably because you are. Blast one out. Next time they start a song, if you think it did, just let her go. Just let your lungs un unhook that. <sighs> let her go good. Everybody else say, well, I'm going to sing too. Anybody singing like that? I'm gonna... Or they might scoot over two or three chairs away from you. No, I'm just saying let God know when you have the chance, maybe when you're alone, when you're in your car, sing a song. <clears throat> Singing to the Lord a new song. Is that scriptural? Singing to the Lord a new song. Isn't that Psalm 98 and verse 1? Oh, singing to the Lord a new song, for he hath done great things. 
Amen. Well, let me ask you a question. Are y'all strong? Are you a bunch of weaklings? Is strength granted to you? Can you do all things through Christ? Bow your head with me then. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you to bless us tonight with the ability to understand your word, that anointing that causes a light to come on, that work of a spirit of wisdom and revelation when we're confronted with it, which our eyes are open and we're blessed. We have a need here, Father, in this place. There is a need in this world, and it's nothing more than a willingness, a personal willingness to take you at your word. We can do that. You've said we can. Deal with us, O Lord, as little children. Bring us to our adult lives where we're trusting you with all of our hearts. Bless this word to the hearts of all those that are here. Bless it to those outside of here, wherever they are. May we become strong in the Lord and the power of his might. As a testimony, I ask in Jesus' name, amen.